Welcome to the Two Acre Homestead Podcast. We're your hosts, Kevin. And Lisa. And today, Season 4, Episode 2, we'll be talking about how to plan for buying seeds. So let's get started. Welcome to the Two Acre Homestead. Come along with us on our journey from a small suburban homestead lifestyle to our new lifestyle homesteading in the rural countryside of Southern Arizona. We'll share with you our tips, tricks, successes, and failures from both our past suburban lifestyle to our new rural lifestyle, all on the Two Acre Homestead. Okay, we're back. So what have you been up to, Lisa? Well, I have been all hands on deck getting the our 3,200 square foot garden space ready for the new growing season. So I'm taking advantage right now of the cooler weather. And because I like, I prefer working in cooler weather than it being warm. So we're putting down um, wheat tarp and we're spreading out all of our um, wood chips. And we collected a bunch of cardboards. I've got some new garden beds that are going in and we're filling those up with some of, I'm so happy, we're filling some of them up with our homemade compost, finally. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's been all hands on deck trying to get set up for the new garden. Nice. It's always something good to look forward to at the it beginning is. of the year. Yeah. What so, have you been up to? Yeah, a couple things. Um, let's see. So one is fine-tuning the compost system that we have. Mm -hmm. um, actually set up a second spot, and that's in our um, in our area for the goats. So thought that would be nice because um, saves on a trip, you know, to <laughs> haul that to the garden area. That's but, cleaning out the barn, you mean? Yeah. Oh, right. Cleaning out mm -hmm. the barn and excess hay that, you know, that, that's the one thing that's hard when they drop it on the ground. They just don't eat it, right? So, oh, but I mean, I guess the nice thing is that provides some greenage. Um, yeah. It's, you know, hard sometimes. You get a lot of brown stuff, but mm. it's sometimes harder to get the green stuff. So, but mm. anyway, fine tuning that. Um, and then improving some of the tools on the homestead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you do your best to buy tools that you think are going to last. I think one thing we mentioned is, you know, I've learned, especially being out here in the desert, don't buy the the wooden handles. They don't last. Oh, goodness, right? no. The coating, you know, lasts only so long and then mm -hmm. it wears off. Um, fiberglass handles are great, but... Um, a pitchfork is a good thing to have, especially when you're working with compost and like you said, wood chips and so on. Mm -hmm. How many pitchforks have we gone I through? know this, you know, <laughs> I bought a brand, I I, I don't like to, to talk about brands necessarily, but bought one that I, I think that, I don't know, sometimes you can go by, well, this is cost of a little bit more, mm -hmm. but you can't necessarily go by the price. But anyway, hopefully this one will last longer this one doesn't have the wood handle and um actually what i really looked at in this particular one is how it was welded so yeah. 
you know, how the tines are welded together. And that was the real fault. I mean, you can always do something with the wood handles, but the other one failed. And, um, you know, the tines were pointing all different directions. I think they were all alternating different (laughs) directions, but anyway, kind of pointless. But anyway, um, that's what I've been up to. Awesome. (laughs) Well, good. So today we are talking about the things that you need to do before you buy your seeds. Um, and this is that time of year. I, I really like to call it the gardener's rush. It's, it's this time where it's, you know, it's January, everything's kind of slowing down and you start thinking about the gardening season that was and you start looking back and wishing for the gardening season that will be. Um, and that, I think for most of us gardeners, that happens somewhere between January and, and April. Um, you just you just are itching to get your hands in the soil. But we, there are a lot of things that you really want to think about prior to either starting your seeds and definitely before buying seeds. So we have several tips that we want to talk to you guys about. And the first one is you really want to take stock of what you and your family eats. I know it sounds elementary. It sounds really basic, but it's the truth. And I think it happens to all of us. Like, you know, I I know for us this year, we had a bunch of pumpkins this year and they are sitting in our pantry right now doing nothing. (laughs) And we've been giving them to the chickens um, because for whatever reason, they're just sitting around and um, the chickens or the pumpkins. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All of the above. But um, so, yeah, you know, taste change. Um, I know because our family, you know, our children are still young and they're still at that age where they want to, um, you know, th- their, their taste buds are changing all the time, you know? So like, for example, our oldest son hated anything that was tomato-based product. Now all of a sudden it's all the rage. He can't get enough of it. So, you know, taste buds change but you really want to take note of what you and your family are eating. And the way that you do that is you pay attention to what you buy at the grocery store. When you're in the produce section of your grocery store, what are you constantly buying? You know, um, I did a YouTube video on this particular subject and I use the example of celery and lettuce. If you're constantly buying celery and lettuce, then it might be time to start looking into growing your own celery and your own lettuce. And especially now with the way prices are going, it's probably a good idea, but that's a different story. But what, you know, you just really want to know what you and your family are eating because it's a waste of your time, energy, and effort to grow something that you, your family, if you have animals, nobody's going to consume. It's just a waste of time. The other thing is culinary herbs. And I, and I really think that 
this, the culinary herbs kind of get, I don't know, they get lost in the, oh, if you're just new to gardening, start off with culinary herbs. But we kind of lose sight of of those particular herbs sometimes, I think sometimes with some gardeners. But, you know, really what you want to look at is the types of foods that you and your family like to eat and what you like to season those foods with. So, you know, an example is chicken. Our family loves chicken with tarragon and bay leaf. Um, that is that that's our family's favorite way to have chicken seasoned. So since that's a family favorite, I'm always going to be growing tarragon because we all seem to like tarragon paired with chicken. I'm not, it doesn't make sense for me to spend $3 on a little spice, you know, three to $6 on a little spice jar that's going to last me maybe, you know, for a few months when I can grow an entire tarragon plant and I can fill up like two or, you know, not two, but, you know, three or four of those spice jars, those glass spice jars that you get in the grocery store filled with, you know, home dried tarragon that was easy breezy for me to grow. So knowing what your family likes to season, you know, knowing what seasonings you like to put on your food, I think is really important for you to know and important for you to grow. And then of course, on the subject of herbs is medicinal herbs. I was just on um, earlier today, I was just on a group call and we were talking about medicinal herbs because a lot of people right now, especially as of the recording of this, are getting, you know, either COVID or there's this RSV. There's all these, you know, flus and things going on right now. And it's hard for people to find medication. But if you know what herbs do, you know, what herbs can help you. If you know what herbs can help you when you're sick and when you need to, you know, start feeling better or things that can help you, then you might want to be interested in planting those types of things that are going to help your family, not just with the culinary taste of herbs, but the medicinal use of herbs. Because that way it really kind of gets you off of being so reliant on the medical system. And I'm not saying do not rely on the medical system, but having the ability to, you know, pop into your backyard or, um, you know, go into your pantry and get some of those herbs that you have grown yourself and use those to help you and your family get better or get over a cold or whatever the health issue is it's a lot more simpler, simplistic than it is, you know, having to go to the doctor, then, you know, call 15 pharmacies because no, nobody has the medicine that you need. So learning how to grow medicinal herbs 
knowing what you and your, what health issues you and your family tend to have and knowing what those issues are and knowing how to maybe kind of avert those issues with herbs will help in the long run. So like an example, echinacea, knowing, you know, when you start growing echinacea, like when we were sick just recently, we used our own echinacea. That's a proud moment, you know, when it's like, hey, you know, I can help my family based on the things that I have grown, you know, here on property. And I didn't have to rely on the medical community to help get us better. So those are things that you want to be thinking about prior to, these are some things that you want to think about prior to buying your seeds. Okay. And another thing that can help you um, when planning for buying seeds is growing food for your animals. Um, So you got to, first of all, consider what type of animals do you have on your homestead? Um, And that's really going to dictate what type of food are you going to need to grow to feed those animals? So for example, um, with us, with chickens, with turkeys on property, um, sprouted seeds, that's an excellent way to get off the bagged feed. Um, and it's amazing within about seven days or so, you can get some really nice, healthy, nutritional food for those those uh, birds. So for example, when it comes to sprouted seeds, you can do things like milo, um, barley, mm-hmm. wheat, and um, you can even buy those, um, you know, there's a place not too far from us. For example, you can buy them in 50 pound bags. Um, if you have the means, like if you have those 55 gallon drums with the uh, lids that screw off the top, um, they can fill those. Or if you if you have the, the bigger mm-hmm. means, you can get a big um, tote and they can fill that, you know, what is it, over a thousand pounds or so. But um, those are some ways. So those are some things you can get. Um, and then depending again on the animals you have, sheep, for example, um, what kind of things might you grow in the pasture? Um, mm-hmm. You could use field peas, for example. Um, there may be different grasses that you might want to grow for them to graze on. Um, so, um, those are some things as far as seeds, but also, um, you know, you can think about things like growing pumpkins. Chickens love those. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, leafy greens, chickens and rabbits. You can, you can feed, um, leafy greens, good Mm -hmm. source of nutrition for them. So the thing is, do your research in your climate and your growing zone and so on. Do your research. What is going to grow well for you? Um, what types of seeds, for example, um, for that are, are readily available? And what's going to be easy for you? If you're going to go the route of sprouted seeds, for example, and put together a fodder system, knowing all the things necessary, you know, some people go way out and some people do it more manual, but do your research, do what works uh, for you uh, when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. So then that brings up another point. So that's knowing how much growing space that you have in order to fulfill the need that... um, you have to, for instance, grow that food for your animals. So make sure you have enough space to grow what you need for the animals that you already have on your homestead. 
maybe even thinking too for planning purposes, uh, animals that you want to bring onto the homestead eventually. Um, so an example is if you're in the standard suburban backyard, grow vertically. Right. right. If you don't have the space horizontally, grow it vertically, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so what could you do as far as that? So plants such as anything in the cucurbit family, that's going to be things like cucumbers, melons, uh, pumpkins. And what's nice about doing that vertically, you just need to make sure it's well supported. So mm-hmm. you can get a hog panel, for example. Uh, drive some um, fence posts in, right? The T posts, or you could even do it as an A frame and just use a few hinges and and so on. You can fold it up and put it away when you're done mm-hmm. for the for until the next season. But as long as it's well supported, especially when you have things like melons, right? You're gonna need. They're gonna have some weight to it and so on. Exactly. And another thing to think about is grow leafy greens. Um, So use the cut and come again method. Um, Good examples of that would be growing kale, uh, Swiss chard, spinaches. So you can cut some of those leaves, um, start from the bottom of the stalk, and then feed them to your chickens, for example. Good uh, healthy source, and then you'll get uh, it growing again. And you can do that at least a few times during the season, right? For each right. plant. And with those cut and come again greens, what you what you're aiming to do is you're cutting them from the bottom of the stalk and you're working your way up as the plant grows. And the advantage of that is and this this part is really directed towards those who have a smaller growing space. Um, who can't really expand. So having those those leafy greens and doing this as a cut and come again, like Kevin was saying, you know, you're making a vertical, you're you're making a vertical space eventually. Because as you keep cutting, especially your um your kales, because as you keep cutting those bottom leaves, the plant will keep growing up and up and up. So eventually what happens is, is you're creating this, this plant that's growing on the vertical rather than on the horizontal. And because you're cutting just a few leaves here and there, um, you're, uh, the more the plant grows, the less footprint that that plant has. And you're actually, you can actually start you know, like depending on how tall the plant gets, you can start growing other things around. I'm just going to say around your kales, for example, you can start growing other things. Now you would not want, because kale uh, is a part of the brassica family, I believe of plants. So I would not suggest growing another brassica by it, but maybe throwing a parsley up under there because there's your herbs, your your culinary herbs, or maybe some cilantro, another culinary herb that you can grow up under there. I would not put tomatoes with it. I would not put another brassica with it because they just don't get along. <laughs> but um, again, do your research, 
know how much, how much space you have and research how you can make your space work so that, you know, when you're growing vertically, you're actually able to put something um, around those plants that are growing vertical. So you're making better use of the footprint that's in your garden space. I hope that makes sense. But <laughs> And the other thing that is, I think it's just super important and, and probably should have been the first thing that came out of our mouths, but you know, it is what it is. And that is know your growing zone, know your first and last frost date. Because again, as gardeners, we get a little bit zealous and we get a little bit happy sometimes. And, you know, we're really excited to just get our hands in the soil and you go out there and you want to plant some tomatoes because you just can't wait to have those fresh tomatoes. And, oh, oops, it's in the middle of February and you have a last frost date of April 25th. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so knowing your first and your last frost date is really important because that's going to dictate to you how you're going to grow your your plants are you going to grow them indoors you know with the with the um grow light system like we have a grow light system um we prefer the mars hydro that is our grow light system of choice but um you know are you growing indoors or are you in a warmer climate? So our friends in Phoenix, you, you know, in Southern California, you guys who are in growing zones 9B and 10A and higher, you know, you guys could probably wait and just grow directly, you know, so directly in in um, the soil. You don't have to worry about you know, your grow lights and starting your seeds indoors because your growing season is so long because your, you know, your last frost date might be what, March 15 or earlier. So, you know, you've got a, a longer growing season than those of us who are, you know, people like us, seven, seven, a six B, you know, and, 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 um, higher in the numbers. So. So if you're not sure of what growing zone you're in, it's real simple um, to find out your first and last frost date. Go to the Farmer's Almanac, and we'll put a link to the sh in the show notes uh, to that page. You can put in your zip code. Uh, even outside the country, it'll tell you what growing zone you're in and the details uh, that go along with that. Mm -hmm. And last and certainly not least, um. <laughs> is if at all possible, try to grow heirloom seeds. Heirloom seeds are just, they are completely different from hybrid seeds. So let me explain what a hybrid or an F1 seed is. The reason I say F1 is for our listeners who are in Europe, but here in the United States, we just use the word hybrid instead of F1. But here's an example 
that I'm going to give you of a hybrid seed. Um, the company is called Seeds and Such, and great company. Um, I've had no problems, no issues with their seeds whatsoever, but they have a type of tomato that is a hybrid tomato. And when we lived in the Phoenix metropolitan area, I loved that tomato. And also in Tucson, when we lived in Tucson, loved it because we were in growing zones 10A and 9B. So we were hot. Um, Our areas were really hot. And this particular tomato was called a heat master tomato. Um, It's also, I've seen it also called a Phoenix tomato. And it's just because it, it produces a ripened fruit, even if the temperatures are above a hundred degrees. So if you know anything about tomatoes, you will know that tomatoes cannot pollinate once the temperature gets higher than 90 degrees. Well, when you live in areas like Phoenix, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona, where the temperatures are 105 to 117 degrees in the summertime, and you want a nice juicy tomato, that ain't happening. It's it's very difficult to get your plants to, your tomato plants to produce. But this hybrid called the Heat Master will produce even in those high temperatures. Here's the problem. You cannot save the seeds of an F1 or a hybrid plant at all. So when you see that on a seed packet or a seed catalog, when you're, when you're thumbing through the seed catalogs and you see the word hybrid or F1, you know that you are not going to be able to save the seeds from that plant because it's never going to be true. It's never going to be true to the plant that you recognize. It's going to go back to being like its parent plant, whichever parent plant it chooses. So because, you know, they take two tomato, two different tomato plants, cross pollinate them to produce this, this hybrid tomato plant that can produce in temperatures over 100 degrees. So I really encourage, I really want to encourage you as a listener, if if and whenever it is possible, try your best to get heirloom seeds. Heirloom seeds are completely different from your hybrid and F1. Heirloom seeds are what they are. So if you go and you buy, let's say we'll stick, we'll stick with tomatoes here and you're just going to go and you're going to buy, um, aroma tomato seed. It's an heirloom seed, Roma tomatoes. You can save the seeds from your Roma tomatoes. And next year, when you plant those seeds, you're going to get aroma tomato plant year after year after year, because those particular cultivar cultivars or those particular plants have been grown for, I, I forgot what the standard is, but I think it's, they have to grow them 
for, I think it's 50 or 80 years, and it has to to produce the same identical type of plant for that many years to be considered heirloom. So when you buy an heirloom seed, you are getting the true plant. And the fact of the matter is, is that heirloom seeds have taken quite the hit and people haven't been using them as much. But with the way things are going right now, you want to learn how to save your seeds as much as possible because you never know, we may have another seeds shortage coming up. And if you're relying on, you know, your hybrid seeds to produce a crop for you, you might actually be shooting yourself in the foot, so to speak, <laughs> down the road. So really encourage people to buy buy heirloom seeds whenever and wherever possible. Sounds good. These have been some really good tips. And like we said, it's nice to kind of think about these things, planning for the new season, mm-hmm. um, because it means we're going to be getting there in the dirt again. Yeah. We're going to be starting that food, and then we'll be getting to that time mm-hmm. that we all love to harvest and be able to enjoy the fruits of our labor, right? So That is right. All right. And if you want the visual of this particular podcast, check us out over on the YouTube. <laughs> I love calling it the YouTube, but no, go ahead and check us out on YouTube. The same name, the Two Acre Homestead. And I just posted a video going over these exact same points that we just did, but it's your, you guys are actually seeing me in the flesh talk about these different things. And you get a chance to see our grow room. Um, you get a chance to see a little bit of our garden um, and some of our chickens. I think one of our roosters like devoured a pumpkin on the screen, but, um, or at least he picked at it. I shouldn't say he devoured it, but he picked at the pumpkin on the screen. So go ahead and check us out on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Yep. Like, and subscribe and yeah. uh, also check us out on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And if you need to know the addresses, just go to the two com, and we have the links there on our website. So um, look forward to as well on our website, um, our upcoming um, way to join our community. Um, So we'll have some more details about that in an upcoming episode. So again, thank you from all of us here. We appreciate your support. We appreciate being able to share these tips with you. If you have any questions, you can also visit our website and uh, post some questions to us. direct messages on Instagram. Yep, or direct message on Instagram. And uh, we'd be happy to include that in a future episode. So from all of us here, to all of you out there, happy homesteading. And be safe out there. Bye.